And tonight we're going to talk about pagans and power. And it's one of the things that is probably the largest trigger in our community. So I'm glad you, my fellow explorers, are good with this and good with exploring new ideas. Now, on my Facebook page, and I'm going to talk a little bit about my Facebook page here um, once we get into it. But I've seen all sorts of different answers. And I'm asking, what is power to you in the pagan world? And power... uh, in most cases, in all their different paths, pagans come from many different paths. They are not universal. They're not unified. And as you know, my goal for 24 is to get them better connected, to join my one million person network in order to be able to connect people to time, information, places, and all sorts of resources. We know attention is the new oil, so we're, we're into that. And that's part of where the power comes. But pagans in all their different paths have never have had a near universal belief in the power of divine power. Somehow they believe in divine power, some of magical powers, and that is divine power is the power potential to change their lives. When it comes to power within the world, I mean like the physical world, and how it works, the idea changes dramatically from person to person and group to group. They think of it well, it's a different way. And most importantly, there's a stink that clings to how we think about and perceive power. That's right. For most pagans and for most people in the world, we've been taught that, that power stinks. Developed by, you know, because this was developed by the misuse and gross nature of it. People who seem to get power seem to abuse that ability. And it feels very bad. It feels like it has a stink on it. And so people, pagans in this case, especially avoid demonstrating or using power as it's known into the world. And power is the the aspect that remains most understood and highly important to our society. It's needed for this generation and the years we live in, which will be needed for 2024. Today, we see the way power and in the forms to control our society. It's being created and uncreated at a rapid pace, providing new, uh, new ways to use minds to create new ways to use force, generate wealth and gain knowledge. We are deep in the power shift era. And this power shift era where bigger where the bigger power struggles exist and more to come. This was idea was created by and generated by Dr. Alvin Toffler, who wrote the book Future Shock, Third Wave, and Power Shift is a twenty five look at your look at power. And he believes it lasts from nineteen seventy to twenty twenty five, surprisingly. And I've been a disciple of his work, so I love the idea of power shift. But what is a power shift? Put the words together. It's not just a transference of power. That happens. A power shift does not merely transfer power. It transforms it. The internet transformed power. Banking transformed power. How we communicate through Facebook transforms power. All these things that are causing power shifts, um, right now X, you know, what formerly Twitter shifted power. Right now, Power shift doesn't merely transfer power, it transforms it. We stand at the deepest power shift in the history of the world. How and way power is going to be expressed from here on out is going to be it. So what is power for the definitions of this? Power is defined as a purposeful power over control over people and the environment they are in. This is created by a trinity of of, of force, wealth, and knowledge to have them perform in a given way. Isn't that amazing? It is true. 
And that is one of the things that uh, a lot of people have worked on. Uh, he, he wrote a book, creating, you know, creating a new civilization that was used by Newt Gingrich, surprisingly, to kind of overthrow um, what was the order of the day to take the House of Representatives from being basically a body of local people coming to Congress, coming to D.C. to represent local to a national body. Now, let's go ahead and explain what those are. Force is the crudest form, being a violence and bodily control, meaning to use methods that compel not only the willingness to serve, but the compulsion to do so. Having a gun pointed at you, uh, being locked up in a cage. Um, there are no, so many ways it does so, but it's using force, violence, or other means of physical aggression. And so the uh, trinity of force, wealth, and knowledge, force is the beginning of it. Um, what is force in our city? It's a way you know, to use methods that are compelling to willing to serve, but also compulsion to do so. It is the way systems work to assure behavior through threat and sometimes demonstration of force compels people to act. That's what's happening right now in our world. So armies, police forces, um, medical personnel that can have the chance to lock you up in a medical institution. There are tons of ways of forces being used. Uh, parents against children, uh, gangs against their neighborhoods. Anytime you use force to get a behavior to happen, that's power. And that energy is also maybe negative, but that's a way you can do so. And so people uh, do so that wealth is more refined. And we're not just talking about cash. We're talking about wealth. As it can allow for exchange of traded goods and services. It's how wealth can be used to create purposeful change with individuals to entire civilizations. We're using wealth in a lot of ways in our society. America is a very wealthy country, and we use wealth all the time. You, you know, getting minimum wage for work, that's wealth. We exchange goods for wealth. And wealth in the form of money and privilege can be used to amplify force as well. This moves into paid soldiers, security, and other aspects needed to essentially control an environment. We're seeing that overseas. We're seeing it in Gaza. We're seeing the threat of it in Venezuela and Guyana. We're seeing the threats of it in um, Taiwan and China and Philippines. So we know this happens. So when you have wealth, you can afford armies. In fact, the United States is the rich nation, and we spend more than the next 25 countries all together to make sure that we have useful force. And that means nuclear weapons. That means fighting fights. It means aircraft carriers. That means training of soldiers. All of that is done through wealth. And, of course, private uh, private security, mercenaries, security guards, police forces in cities. The list goes on and on. Uh, other examples abide. You can figure out that other examples abide. Money, more wealth can be mean more force. Certainly it can. It can also be used by your way out of being under someone who uses force. Hi, guy. I don't want you to push me around. Well, you want me to pay taxes. You want me to pay uh, a bribe. You want me to pay the types. You want me to pay... Um, a VIG, whatever it is, you can also buy your way out of violence, at least from a temporary to a permanent basis. 
And people who do use force will accept money in exchange so they don't have to beat you up. I want part of your crops. Great. I'll give you part of my crops. You will not use violence against me. No. But if I give you a little bit more money, will you protect my crops from other people? Yes, we will. And that's the beginning of government. That's the beginning of protection. That's the beginning of security. So when you can make this uh, thing across, well, you know, that. And the, you know, but it's also the use of wealth is versatile. It can be used for rewards. In this sense, wealth has greater versatility in creating positive and negative change. It just simply is. You can hire people. You can pay them money in all sorts of different ways that you can make wealth a leverage better than force. Combined together, of course, they're dangerous. But wealth alone can be dangerous. Now, let me go ahead and deal with knowledge. Knowledge is the most refined part of power. The phrase power is knowledge is true. It can lead to discoveries that make the world better. It can be used to create new ideas. It can be used by people who will use money to buy. And it can be used to, you know, uh, can be used to refine force being used, as I told you before, in the forms of weapons and as casually as blackmail. I mean, yeah, knowledge. You know, if you have knowledge on something, try to blackmail them. Wow, isn't that amazing? And hard and difficult, but you can also use it to build better weapons. That's what we're in. We're in a race of, of knowledge, but it can also be used to teach people. Knowledge is also shareable and fungible. What does it mean? You heard of EF, uh, um, NFTs, non-fungible tokens. A dollar is non-fungible. It means you can only own a dollar or somebody else can own a dollar. But any single dollar bill could only be owned by one person at a time. Um, if I have a bottle of wine, that's non-fungible. There might be many, many bottles of wine. There could be 10,000 bottles of wine, but each one individual means they're non-fungible. Now, we both could buy a bottle of wine, but it won't be the same bottle of wine. We can't buy the same bottle of wine. We can share the same bottle of wine, but we cannot do it. And the wine I drink, you can't drink. But in knowledge knowledge of wine I can tell you how I made my wine and then you can use it to go make your wine and then they can another person can make your wine so the knowledge of wine and how to create wine is fungible it means it can be used by multiple people um, and that's what it is um, and it's also shareable and fungible and being able to be used by multiple groups people and groups simultaneously that's right so knowledge it doesn't have a limit to its usage in the way that wealth does or the way that force does. In fact, the control of information is now the center of multiple forms of wealth and force generation. You know, we talk about spies and satellites and all sorts of different ways. How does, why does this affect pagans? Uh, pagans and their relationship power. Pagans often talk about the warrior the guardian, the protector. I've heard so much of this. And these are ancient seraphic types of force made real. Oh, I'm a warrior. I'm going to protect people. I'm a guardian. I'm a paladin. I'm personally a paladin. I've actually protected people. And these ancient seraphs are made real. So we talk about them. It's a way to discuss how an individual can use the energy within force and violence to be a warrior. We say one must right, use it rightly, fairly, and with justice. Our guardians who protect our festivals can be very perceptive, have be a perception of force within the, the force within the community to protect it against unwanted behaviors. 
Right. The community consents to allow force to be used to remove individuals, groups, or situations that doesn't favor the entire group. So force can be used with consent, but once it consolidates, that force is necessary to do so. Hmm? And uh, and that's it. There, this can be uh, an aggressive individual sexually against others. You know, we've seen that before, either against children or women, mostly against women who do not want to have it. And men feel like, and certain types of men feel like, oh, they have the right to non-consent or pressure. They're using force against an individual, so we're allowing our guardians and our, our security guards or, you know, whatever we want to call them, the warrior to protect it. Some women act as warriors to protect other women and will beat the hell out of a man. Now, against other, one who preaches and interrupts of the events. Now, we saw that in this year when we're Christians are entering in and have disrupted a major number of events. Now, next year, we'll probably have warriors and guardians and even paladins who will actually be allowed by society to a certain degree use violence. But because the over-society, the over-culture has police and other types of agents, they may not be able to do as much as they want, but they can use some of it. Um, or simply being a person who used violence against others. I mean, if you're beating up on somebody, they have a right, these guardians, these warriors, these energies have the right to move in with community consensus to do so. The warrior and or the guardian then can use, use justified force to remove them. Um, but in our society, we don't have the next level, which is to use justice or to use punishment. We're allowed to toss them out. We're allowed to hand them over to the police, but we may reject them. They never allow them back into our group, use force, at violence to keep them out. But we don't have the right to punish them. That is reserved for the greater society. We don't have that sort of ability. So all we can do is a very limited form of utilizing force to protect it. And this is generally the limit to the societal permission to use force in the pagan culture. Actually, pagan culture does not use violence, and nor does it really gain much from being status. So some people grant status being a warrior, being a guardian, being the protector of a group, a paladin. All of these types of words, but they're extremely limited in their ability to do so. Wealth, though, within the pagan community is a weak leak for most. Between what is called poverty consciousness, contempt of increasing value, the inability to truly generate cash and revenue, or just perception, the ability to gain and use wealth is a slow, difficult, and often inaccessible to the average pagan person. For those who have a bit of wealth, like all other communities, it can give them an advantage and leverage over others. And this can create animosity and rejection. It is one of the weakest areas of the pagan community, this concept of wealth. Even though we're acquiring wealth through the purchases of land for festivals, investing in equipment to go to festivals, buying books, creating libraries, but it isn't what we would call lasting we are consumer wealthy. We're able to buy what we want, and we're, we're forcing in doing so. But the people who are producing these goods, these stores and everything else, we haven't really seen multi-million businesses. A few out of Salem, Massachusetts, you're starting to see it because they deal with a massive amount of gaining attention, and they gain it through what we call mundane or tourist business. You're starting to see it down in New Orleans. 
you're starting to see it in the tourist areas because these individuals have used their knowledge, which is the next part, and their skill sets to generate wealth in a place where there's a great deal of people, but they're not using force. Now, one player out there does use force, and we'll talk about that another time, not today. But they use force in the sense of to make sure they protect their ground for marketing purposes. Knowledge is by far one of the areas have developed, and it is their primary source of power. It's also where our contention comes in. Through the exchange of knowledge, the creator gains attention and cooperation of individuals. That's right. We use knowledge as the persuading tool, whether it is emotional, mental, or other methods. We utilize knowledge and the use of words to develop our cooperation of the individuals and groups. And so we, we, that through the exchange of knowledge, the creator gains attention and cooperation of individuals so they can learn, acquire items of rarity, and develop access to the higher levels of community organization. Clergy training is an example for that. You have witch school who trains for clergy. At the same time, they're bringing you into a deeper and deeper part of the community, which you can cooperate. Uh, Clarence Tabernacle Church has a very similar process. Um, Cherry Hill, which is a knowledge people, try to take people who are already build the structure and make them better. Circle is like a big, open, warm hug most of the time. Selena is a great hugger. But they also are working towards utilizing their knowledge, some wealth, and occasionally being forceful to change the way the laws work or protect people. So knowledge is a very important part of getting to higher levels of community organization. You must have knowledge of an individual or knowledge of a person to be able to. The more unique the knowledge, the more useful, entertaining, and accessibility, the more it's valued. That's right. The more knowledge that is unique, useful, entertaining, accessibility, these all count to how to utilize knowledge. And remember, knowledge is, and once you write the book, more people will learn it. Books are non-fungible, but the knowledge within is fungible. It means I can take a book, read it, I can hand it to you so you can read it, but now I retain the knowledge in my head and we can discuss this knowledge. And now more and more of that knowledge is pouring in, almost to the levels of what some people complain is a commodity. It's through knowledge that a wealth a pagan individual receives in exchange for this, i.e. book fairs, book things. And remember, most publishers take away most of the money to do books, take the risk, take all that energy, which is dangerous. Um, wealth, they take the wealth risk of publishing the book and you know getting the writers. And they take the majority of money. That's the nature of capitalism. Whoever takes the financial risk is allowed the greater rewards because they took a risk. Isn't that crazy? But it's true. And they don't have to share it. Once you agree to a certain amount of wealth, they force you to work. I mean, i.e., you agree to work, but they can force it to do whatever job they want. But you agree to it because in exchange for wealth. And if you don't do the work that they want, that they're paying for you, they can utilize force, i.e. fire you. So the control over the job is a force mechanism, but you're there for a wealth mechanism, carrying out a knowledge job, skills that you have. Um, So that's wonderful. Uh, The more unique the knowledge, the more useful. If you are the only person who knows how to repair a computer, or if you're one of the rare people who know how to make a real Athami, 
um, from scratch, any number of these, and you can use it to uh, develop income, wealth, but it's knowledge that's important. It is why, through knowledge, what wealth an individual receives is in exchange for this. Yeah. This is why, you know, classes are very popular because of this. Teaching is still a very big part of us because this is the exchange of knowledge to wealth. And it's why, pagan community, you see secrecy, gatekeepers, and other ways to channel information so that it helps build wealth and status. In exchange, status is a form of wealth. It's what you can do. If you have enough status, it may even be able to occasionally use force. I am a high priest. I am teaching all of you, but you person, must have, I reject, and you person must leave. And you can use that force to have them removed. And if they won't be removed because of your own guardians and, and paladins and such, you may have to call the police. And they will use force, even deadly force, to remove people. And you have the right, if you have a certain knowledge of the police and you have a certain amount of wealth, they're more than happy to willing to occur to you. So this is the nature of paganism. They don't know how to utilize power as we're just talking. They talk about power in so many words because of the stink of it. They don't like it. They don't want people to exert it over them. So they have a very poor relationship with power and they actually don't want anyone having power over them. And this means that no one can have control over them, but they do. The macro society, the overculture does. And so when we see movements such as Christians calling witches terrible, well, they have the wealth and the knowledge as a way to convey a knowledge. Knowledge doesn't have to be truthful. It doesn't have to even be correct to be used in a way that's, that's forceful. So where does pagans, and this is, this is the next step, where do pagans use force? And we use force as part of a reputational combat. Reputational combat is where we use our knowledge of an individual, of persons, and organizations, neurolinguistic programming, of what they did, of what they didn't do, lies, made-up stories, things people will believe, things that are blown out of proportion. There's a ton of ways we can use our knowledge to communicate what it is. And then we use our wealth, meaning what is our wealth? Now, wealth can be money, but it's also, in a lot of ways, our reputation. It's how we convey ourselves, what we can use to help. And reputational conflict tries to utilize knowledge and combine it with wealth in the form of status, this ability to leverage society. Not all wealth is cash. For me, I had to use a lot of my wealth this year to assure the health of, of, of Reverend Don Lewis and make sure that I, who was caught in a reputational combat zone where people decided that I was the villain, that I was the bad guy, that I had to be attacked, and they used reputational combat as the primary form. They try threatened with uh, lawsuits. They threatened with that sort of thing. They tried to expose stories about me. They tried to create these ideas and take this knowledge and kind of storytell it into something that was exciting and dramatic and useful for them to kind of impinge upon me. And then they use their status in their societies and their groups in their energy 
to get other people to hear them and what they wanted to do, and they did do, force people to turn away. This is the number one way pagans fight. They use their knowledge to fight with other people, to smear them with gossip, to speak against them, to create stories. Non, and most of these cannot be proven. They, we call it gossip. We call it witch wars. But it's really reputational damage in combat. And this is actually so powerful a force that you can sue, slander, libel, and other conditions if you want to spend the time and energy. But you have to have enough wealth. So reputational combat has really three components. And this is kind of something I've learned about witch wars. One, you need to have an enemy. And you have to have enough of a purpose to want to fight them as to basically expose your energy, spend your energy, your wealth of energy. And I believe energy is wealth. It's a big part of wealth. And we'll discuss more of that at another time. But I think the ability to have energy and then use that energy to do so. And you use part of your status. What did you earn? I'm a Facebooker. Um, I'm a former first priestess. I'm a a high priestess. I am a archpriestess. I am an archpriest. I am this person where the knowledge of me is important and the knowledge that I contain is important. And my reputation, my status is my wealth. This is what I've turned it into. And I can use my reputation and status to generate products, to generate income, or to generate this area. But now I am angry at somebody, so I will now use reputational force, reputational combat to go against them. I will make statements that I will share with a large number of people that are in our shared community. Reputational combat begins with the sharing of community energy. And that means we have to have a shared community. And then somebody has to be a herald about it. It could be the person who's starting it, or it could be others that come in and herald the, 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 the attack, the words. And sometimes it's useful. If, if you've got a pedophile in your community, I know a lot of people don't believe it. You know, the pagan community has an extensive pedophile problem. Um, it did. And it's dying away now, but it did for a while. And it wasn't children, children, like not like five, six, seven years old. Though we had people like Kenny Klein who was convicted of it, went to prison and died there because of younger child pornography. But he had a huge group of people around him. And I know for a fact several of them believed in, I think it's called agrophilic uh, pedophilia or agrophilic. And that means that they would have and, and, and advocate sex with young teenagers to mid-teenagers. I mean, now once they've had, you know, some of their, their sexual uh, advancement, that they would be a fair game. Um, it's an old joke. If it bleeds, you know, you know, any any woman for me, if she bleeds, any woman for me um, was part, a part of it. You know, the idea of first menstruation meant, oh, yeah, she's ready for sex. And there are a lot of older pagans who believe that and advocated that for a very long time. And there are some religious groups that are fronting still this idea of it. But it's really fallen away as our community is aged out. 
and people have gotten in it. Women started to fight back. People have fought back. People of the younger groups began. People who have been victims of it all began to fight back. And it's caused some reputational damage to a lot of people, having these people making true statements, even if they weren't believable, or by others, you know, oh, that never happened. That person was so high in status, I can't imagine that they did that. Why would they risk that? So this is the area of reputational conflict. They tried to destroy it, and they destroyed many, many young women and some young men when they stood against it. When they said, oh, no, this is happening to me, instead of accepting them as telling the truth, and now we've moved into the Me Too generation, and we're starting to listen, and we start to know it, we saw that reputational conflict start to reverse. But sometimes if you cross a leader, oh, my God, they would say things. I mean, that's what protected Kenny Klein, because he hung out with the major leaders. He was hired to festivals. And when people made accusations against him, and I remember that they did, People turned them down, even turned away entire families, entire groups, in order to protect Kenny Klein. This was very popular. So that force that was eventually used in this reputational conflict. And so that is what's supposed to be reputational conflict is supposed to do. Watch for part two coming soon.